For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Hello and welcome to the Early Careers Podcast with myself, Ollie Sidwell. And me, Jack Denton. Today we have um, the Chief Behavioural Officer for uh, a new company, The Branding Man. The Branding Man. We have Mr Steve Keith with us. Hello Steve. Hello gentlemen, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks, very good. How, uh, how's life? It's good, thank you, yeah. yeah. We're enjoying uh, the new venture. Yeah, so who is The Branding Man? What is The Branding Man? The Branding Man is a, a new agency that's been set up to um, bridge the gap between the way that employers talk about the world of work and the way that young people actually need to um, be communicated to to understand it. Um, because there's a lot that I've seen over the last 12 years I've been working where um, messages confuse the audience rather than actually helping them. Great. And how have you ended up you know, where you are today? How did it all, all begin for you? And Yeah, good question. So it's, it's uh, been um, a long journey. So I started on the Teach First programme back in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I taught geography in a school out in Essex. Mm-hmm. Um, two years there, working really hard, working with loads of great young people. Um, and then my um, glaze was kind of cast upon the actual Teach First recruitment team. And they were looking for ambassadors from the programme to go out to universities and to share their story about their experience in the classroom to inspire others to actually apply to the programme and do it for themselves. I moved into the recruitment team there in 2008 and um, worked in the graduate recruitment team, going out to campuses in London, Mm -hmm. specifically for me, speaking to students before moving into a learning and development role, where I sat with um, teachers that were in the classroom and watched them teach and gave them another set of eyes at the back of the room and gave them the benefit of my expertise from the time I'd been teaching um, to help them to finesse their teaching skills um, before I um, saw a role pop up at EY, um, which is where I joined in 2010 working in their employer brand team um, at a point where they were literally just about to take the step into the world of apprenticeships. And I've worked my way up through EY over the, the last eight years, up to the point where I left in April as the, um, the head of marketing and comms for the apprenticeship programmes to launch the Branding Man. Great. And today, so I understand what we're going to be talking about is storytelling and how we can use the power of storytelling to, um, to our advantage in the early careers space. Yeah. So maybe we can start with that, storytelling. Why, why, why is storytelling a powerful way for us to do that why can't we do what we've been been doing so far we can continue to do what we've been doing before but the the extra layer for me that storytelling adds is that it's something that we've all grown up with mm-hmm. um we've all had childhood experiences where we've had stories read to us to help us to go to sleep or to capture our imagination or to help us to learn to read mm-hmm. or to help us to even kind of share anecdotes of things that have happened in our own own lives we are all storytellers we don't actually realize it sometimes everyone likes a good story don't they yeah. i certainly do yeah go on what's your favorite children's story or children's book when you were younger i wouldn't say even children, just my favorite story my favourite book is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Roald Dahl. Classic. Also like the film, but we're talking more about the... The, the story's still the same, isn't it? Yeah. What about yourself? 
Uh, I think anything from Roald Dahl was massive. Yeah. Um, yeah, Going Solo, Boy, all those ones were just great. Mm. What about you? I would, I would kind of go for The Witches, just because I've yeah. kind of got a bit of an underlying theme of kind of macabre, horror, kind of creepy things going through much of the stuff that I read anyway, fiction-wise. Um, but I'd probably put it down to Matilda actually I think because I was probably my family would probably say this I was a little bit like Matilda when I was younger I always had my head in a book <laughs> a bit of a brainiac and that geek at school so I resonate with Matilda I think so what is it that <laughs> makes a good story why is it that makes a good story it's the it's the emotional connection that you get from it mm-hmm. so um, there's a lot of science that backs it up Right. So if you think about the way that the human brain works, it's got two sides, your left side and your right side. Mm-hmm. Your left side is very much more the analytical side of the brain, so it will respond to data, basically, and information that backs up something. Yeah. Whereas the right side of the brain is the much more creative side of the brain, um, and it comes out in maybe people like myself that are, are kind of lean towards that more creative nature in their roles yeah. um, and the work that they do. But um, when you've got that creative side of the brain, it responds to the emotional side of, of things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And with storytelling and the way that we all live our lives, you make thousands of decisions every single day without realising that you're doing it. Most of the time an autopilot. Yeah. Especially if they're decisions that you do every single day, like where you're going to go and get your lunch or what time you're going to get up and what time you're going to leave work and everything like that. But when you're actually thinking about the way that emotion, your brain responds to emotions, it's it's a big factor when you're making decisions. Okay. So storytelling taps into that. Um, and it's something that our brains have been wired to respond to. So if you go all the way back in time to when there were cave paintings, stories from the Bible, um, hieroglyphics in Egypt, for example. It's just been a long... Part of human history has always involved a story. It's been part of human history, exactly, yeah. And storytelling's always been there. So the opportunity is to be able to tap into that emotional response. Yeah. Particularly when you're thinking about branding. And and for branding, it's often a case that you're trying to promote something, a product, an experience that people might not necessarily know about. So you have to take them on a journey. Mm -hmm. You have to capture their interest. And if you think about um, the way that the world is at the moment, there's so much information out there. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably come on to the, kind of the, that challenge for young people as well. But just um, there's almost like um, an attention crisis mounting yeah. where people can't kind of sit still long enough not to pick their phone up or not to swipe left or swipe right or scroll or tap something to like it. Mm, I hate but, it now when I'm reading something that's not zoomable and I accidentally try to zoom it. <laughs> like a piece of paper or something I'm like oh no I you don't do that with paper not paper <laughs> I've definitely done it on stuff before I'm like, oh, love no, it if you strong. do that's really strong yeah <laughs> can't help it I've lost count the number of times I tap photos on Facebook thinking it's a like yeah and right it's not and it's just yeah so that attention crisis is a problem because there was there's a really really great video that I watched a few weeks ago from um, a Harvard law student um, about this, and um, he calls it infinite browsing mode that we're all stuck in, mm-hmm. where we're all kind of trapped in this, can't really make a choice, so I'm just going to carry on scrolling. And um, what storytelling does is it allows you to, um, if you do it right, to capture somebody's attention long enough to get them to stick with you. Mm. Okay, so a good story, 
um, helps you get across a particular message to sell a product, brand, service, idea, concept. Mm -hmm. And a good story will have an emotional attachment to it. What other good things would a good story have or should be part of it that we need to include? It should, I mean, it should always have some kind of characterization to it because you want to be able to read something and imagine that you're maybe in that person's shoes. Right. So whether that's a story that you're telling about a brand or a story that you're reading in a book. So say, for example, you go back to kind of other books or other authors that kind of we might have grown up with. One of my favorite authors is Dan Brown. Mm-hmm. So I've just finished um, a couple of days ago reading his latest uh, novel, Origin. Okay, yeah. This is really? Vin- the Da Vinci Code guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, is, great. Yeah. And he's, he's, got that, he's got that central character, Professor Robert Landon, okay. that's in there, that's across most of the books. There's a couple right. of books that he's done that um, didn't do particularly well, I would say, it was maybe because they didn't have Professor Langdon in them as mm. that character, and that characterisation is really important because it's the same as kind of books where you've got um, Harry Potter or you've got characters in Lord of the Rings and things uh, like 007. that. 007. Imagine a 007, 007 without yeah, James exactly. Bond in. That'd be well, rubbish, wouldn't it? Exactly. Um, you need that characterisation to be able to build the story around for people to kind of go, oh, that could be me or I could have that similar experience that they've got. And when you get that, it, it, it adds to the story because it allows you to kind of almost climb into their head and experience what they're experiencing. And I get that when I read his books, for example, especially the latest one, because it's um, it's set in Madrid and Barcelona, two of my favourite cities. Yeah. And I can imagine those different landmarks and right, places yeah. and things, and so I can almost imagine that I'm Professor Langdon mm-hmm. and geek out on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that characterisation really helps the story to, to go along in the direction that you want people and the journey that you want them to go on. But at the same time as well, his storytelling technique is another important part of storytelling because he's tapping into that um, attention piece that I just mentioned because all of his chapters are incredibly short. They're not more than four or five pages long. Okay. And the the pace of the story then keeps going because you're constantly turning the page to see what's the next. It almost ends each chapter with a little cliffhanger. And so it pulls you pulls you through and you lose yourself and I can easily sit and read an hour and then read it and not pick my phone up. Yeah. So it's almost it's an element of encapsulating within the story, like the characterization, you've got someone who you can see yourself being. But it also then blocks out all the other noise, I think is what you're saying. And I think certainly for young people today, there is a lot of distractions, there is a lot of things going on. So how do we find the the best way of making sure that we can encapsulate their attention span quick enough? Almost talk us through uh, the the way to create a good story if you're trying to build a, whether it's a brand, uh, an employer brand or a university brand, how would you best see that being done? we've spoken a little bit about what makes a good story or what parts of a story are maybe there's some other elements to that we can yeah. discuss yeah. but then it'd be good to see how we could translate that so in early careers most people are going to be interested in okay I, I understand what a story is I understand how it can be very powerful how can I then translate that to whatever I'm doing so in most cases it will be for their branding and attraction to attract people to their particular program or to their particular brand yeah. and you're I suppose advocating um, the story is a way for them to do that. And it's a powerful way for them to do that. So, if I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, working in an HR team and I'm, you know, part of my 
um, attraction or branding strategy, where would I begin and, and how could I start start the process? Yeah, no, good question. So I think you, you kind of just think about the, you need to understand what you, need, what you want to get from the story. So okay. three things for me, you're wanting to get some kind of human connection with people. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with any kind of work in branding, specifically with employer branding, you're talking about selling an experience about working somewhere. Mm-hmm. And specifically for the apprenticeship market as well, you're also talking to a large audience who can't actually visualise what it's like to go and work somewhere because... If I think back to my, my time in the classroom, all of the young people that I used to teach every single day hadn't had an experience of going and working in a big building like the one that I used to work in yeah, in London Bridge. And um, So you have to be able to give that, that people like me or that I'm in their shoes or I'm inside their head bit, the connection bit first, which is where the emotional bit comes in. So it's more important, isn't it, with a younger market, because they don't necessarily have many reference points what you it's too it's good from a point of view of a brand because you can shape very much you know kind of what they they see in here but you have to be careful about how you do that I suppose you know to make sure that you get it right yeah yeah, yeah because and that, that comes back to the, the piece around why I'm doing what I'm doing now is that there's when you you can make dangerous presumptions about what somebody would want to know about working somewhere so it's that working in partnership of knowing what the message that you want to get across but how they actually want to receive it. Um, and so, and that links into the whole piece around authenticity that um, Generation Z really looking for. Okay, so, so we need to identify what, what we're trying to put across. Mm-hmm. We need to translate, translate that into a way the young person will understand. Yeah. And then we need to make sure it's authentic. Yeah. What does that mean? What do you mean by authentic? Authentic for me means finding somebody that works within your organisation. Mm-hmm to be the person that tells the story. Right. So it wouldn't have made sense, for example, um, for the CEO of a company to tell the story of what it's like to be an apprentice working within his or her organisation because it could just be a story that's made up. Yeah. And people will look at it, and not not just young people, people will question. You also might not be able to relate to it. If if you're a young person and you see... Yeah. Maybe an older person who's much older than you. Maybe you might not be able to relate to that person on the same way as if someone was maybe similar age to you. You know, exactly. Yeah, and it is that relation piece, and that's where the power of brand advocacy comes in as well. Because if you find the right person within your organisation that's already on your apprenticeship program, that's got some interesting things, not only to say about their experience of working within your organisation, but how they actually made their choice or something that was slightly different that helps them to stand out, um, they will naturally become part of your um, your brand assets that you pull together, your collateral. Mm-hmm. So you're not just having to think now about creating a brochure, creating a website. You're also thinking about who are the actual physical people that we're right. going to send out into schools or put um, on a careers stand at an event or be in that brochure. And yeah. how do you go out there and find those advocates within your organisation? Like, is there... If you know, if I was sitting there in my team or in my in my you know large company or whatever, and I was thinking about yeah, I, lo- I love this idea. I'd really like to start doing something like that. How do you go out there and find those ambassadors for you to for you to do that? I mean, the way that I used to do it was just quite simply to ask for volunteers. 
Right. You'd okay, be surprised so just as how many people you get that are interested in talking about what they do for a living. And also as well, some of the, some of the greatest brand advocates that we used to have, we used to call them ambassadors mm-hmm. um, for our, our apprenticeship opportunities at EY. And um, the, um, they were really passionate about helping others to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. Because they knew that they'd taken a risk. They'd taken a bold choice and gone down a path that wasn't what everybody else was doing. And they were enjoying the experience. So they were then questioning why, what was the, what was the fuss about? Why was I so worried? There must be loads of other people that were like me two years ago. I want to help them. Mm-hmm. And that's a big theme with Gen Z as well, is that they want, they, they're really into, I mean, with a lot of generational research, I will take it with a pinch of salt, but there is a lot that you can see around social action with right. young people at the moment and then wanting to make things change. Mm-hmm. And so if you get them bought into that process and just invite them to get involved just by simply sending emails out to um, people that are on your programmes in your organisation they're probably more than likely to respond. It's not like you're going to be sitting, waiting for something to happen. You're probably going to be overwhelmed with people. Right. Yeah, I think it follows on massively. I think when, I guess, we first came into the market, maybe 10, 12 years ago, we were very much championed, I guess, peer-to-peer engagement. And you see it all the time. You know, students speaking to other students, whether it's doing a presentation out on campus, whether it's stood at a careers fair, um, whether it's online sharing reviews and information, I, I think young people want to hear it from other other young people, and I feel the vehicle of storytelling is almost the next level of that for almost twenty twenty and beyond, because I think like, they do want to hear it from from their peers, but to hear it told in a certain way, like it's, it's so so different to hearing someone say at, at an organisation, obviously, talk about the roles they do and the roles they offer. They're telling probably the similar sort of information, but it's being told in a very different way. And it's coming across very authentic because they know it inside out. It's them that have been through the process. And I think that element of trust is far more than I think it does if someone who hasn't gone through the process is sort of trying to sell. Mm -hmm. And I think when you storytell, you're not trying to sell. You're actually trying to educate. And and that, that, that is absolutely right. And the trust piece works internally just as well as it does externally when you're trying to tell the story so when you're trying to get buy-in internally from your stakeholders in a in a large business that's recruiting volume recruitment in the student market for apprenticeships one of the biggest challenges you might face is working alongside or in partnership with your consumer brand team who are used to promoting the company and what the company does to people that are going to buy their services Mm -hmm. rather than recruiting talent into your business and the, the the messages that are used to promote your company will not resonate with a young person I can guarantee that no matter what service you're giving because it's a different message you're not trying to get somebody to come and spend their time working for you you're trying to get somebody to buy a product yeah, it's a very different style of messaging. So you you may find yourself in a situation, or I did, where you, you spent time building relationships with your um, colleagues in different departments to be able to kind of bring everybody into line of how 
yes, you might want to use this message, but we need to tweak it and we need to change it. And there was a lot of work that I've done in the past where you have to, it's that communication piece of where you make it fit for purpose. Right. And that's that's kind of what I'm focusing on with, with Branding Runners around purposeful communications and actually not telling a different story, mm-hmm. um, but telling it a different style. I suppose now we've touched on it, maybe it's worth us also looking at you know, if people are doing it, things that they can easily do wrong. Where are the dangers of doing it? Where can you easily muck it up? What sorts of things you know, should people look out for? Well, I mean, I suppose the, the the most obvious thing for me when you're when you're creating a story is that authenticity, genuine piece. Because if you if you fail with that, first of all, you're not going to build trust with your audience. And trust is a really important part with brand affinity and recall. Is that somebody will. There's a, there's a lot that's been written out there recently around the fact that if somebody feels that, the, that there isn't an authentic, genuine message coming from a product or a brand, that they will never buy from that product or brand again. Yeah, and especially for, for young people as well. Uh, big, like you said about the, you know, social activists, and mm. I think they're so keen to jump on the bandwagon of something that isn't actually doing something that's right for the world, whether it's environmental... You, yeah, because you, you, you don't want to feel with with any kind of purchase and, and picking an employer and employee and applying to that particular opportunity with them, whether it's through an apprenticeship program or through a graduate program, you don't want to feel hoodwinked. You don't want to walk in on your first day and see something that's completely different to what you were told was going to happen. Yeah, um, because then you you're quite within your right to walk out the door but also as well you you feel like you've missed an opportunity or you've wasted your time so that that authenticity genuine piece at the start is really important as well and, and you start to see the links between everything but if you're looking for a, a more simplified approach to storytelling to be able to use um, as part of employer branding for the early careers market I would recommend choosing a focus so what is it that you want that story to be about? And by that, I mean not just saying, oh, well, I want it to be about our apprenticeship programme. Yeah. And what the experience that the apprentices had. It's about trying to um, actually think, well, is there something there that um, the, the young person that's telling their story um, had a triumph? So some kind of particular success in the workplace that they're talking about that they're really proud of. Yeah, like Apprentice of the Year, Intern of the Year, stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Good, good um, because when somebody talks about something that they're proud of and that they've been successful about, they become more animated about it as well and they naturally just lose any nerves or inhibitions that they might have had about talking about something and that just adds to the level of authenticity there. Um, could it be, um, and this is where brands need to take a risk more, is be about a tragedy. So something when okay. something when not necessarily somebody <laughs> Come dies, on this just sees a dying right there. Death. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> but in some ways, death, death, some ways is a topic. It's just a dying of a particular attitude towards something. Or but when I'm talking about tragedy, I'm thinking about something that went wrong or a time that you made a mistake. Yeah, again, that taps back into that human piece, and also for a lot of young people, um, they're worried about making. A mistake on making their own choice so that they have to be perfect yeah at doing so something. it breaks down those barriers again because it it's just making it I guess appealing yeah 
it adds it adds to that human level and it makes it actually okay and it gives you an opportunity as a brand to also as well for them to talk about so I did this it went wrong I thought it I thought I'd lost my job but do you know what like my manager helped me to turn it around and it's a really good place to work here because they're really supportive of me and you can make mistakes and mistakes are an important part for the organisation of growing and learning mm -hmm. that just switches it back on its head. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's turns negative into positive. Them. Yeah. yeah. It depends yeah. on how terrible the mistake <clears throat> is. I, got I think the, the third kind of focus that you can choose as well is around um, tension. Tension. So it's, a, it's, a good, mm -hmm. it's a good storytelling technique. Yeah. My favourite stories that I've read, whether they've been Roald Dahl books when I was younger or the Dan Brown books or Game of Thrones or whatever, yeah. they build up tension. You're waiting for something to happen. Mm -hmm. You know it's a bad story if you're getting bored of waiting for it to happen, so there's a fine line between breaking that tension. Um, but the, one of the biggest kind of tension pieces that you've got in the early careers market for young people is around that choice that they're making. And the fact that they might actually be making a decision they want to go down a path that nobody else has been down before, or very few people. Mm -hmm. And they're happy to do it, but teacher, careers advisor, friend that's going off to university, parent that's saying, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go and do that. How do you deal with that conversation? So that's a, a good way of telling that story as well, because it allows somebody who's listening to you tell that tale of how you dealt with that situation to take that information and use it to um, influence the people that are trying to influence that. Okay. So stories become <clears throat> tools then to help you to shift the direction that you're going in. Okay. So we've got triumph, tragedy, tension. tension. And the last one is around transition. Transition. Four T's. Yeah. Four T's. Four T's, yeah. <laughs> so it's about that... Um, the, the, if you think about transition from the world of work, um, that's the other way around, so from the classroom to the boardroom, as a lot of people call it, mm -hmm. um, that's a huge transition for anybody. But for um, a young person, it's even harder because they don't know what it's going to be like. They've been used to sitting in a classroom on a timetable, knowing what subject they do, at what time of the day, mm -hmm. what's expected of them during that time, what the homework is, what the curriculum is that they're working towards and, and everything. And even I struggled with that when I moved from the classroom into the world of work. I was waiting for the bell to ring most of the time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that transition piece is really important for young people because we, we do all this great work to attract young people towards our organisations and to educate them about what it's like to work there and what they'll actually study towards and everything. Once they get in there, it's just as an important part for you to be able to support them and help them when they potentially start to struggle because that support network that they've been used to has potentially gone. Right, but yeah. the opportunity there when you've got the apprenticeship model is that you've got the standards in place that should then mean that you've got mentors and, and managers and everybody that know exactly what you should be going through and equipping them also as storytellers in a way as well is a good way of being able to support those young people because it's kind of like, I know this is hard but 
I went through it once upon a time and this is the way that I dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a different type of story that isn't necessarily what you would um, take as being a traditional way of telling stories. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the four T's then. We've had the four T's. Um, pull all this together and give us a good example of uh, a, maybe a campaign you've seen that has really grasped the whole storytelling theme and has just seen great results from that. Mm. So you know, I'm gonna, the three that I would pick. First one is um, one that LinkedIn launched this year. Yeah. So... Basically, the it's a video of a gentleman that's gone in for a job interview. Mm-hmm. And job interviews can be quite boring, can't they? <laughs> Depend, well, that's very depending on... It depends on the recruiter asking the questions, well, I guess. Well, no, I suppose it does, <laughs> if that's the story time piece. But I think we're, they're, they're quite formulaic. You know what to expect. Yeah. Usually, yeah. And yeah. so the, the thing that really jumped out at me with this LinkedIn video was that he had no idea what was about to happen in this interview. What was about to happen? What was about so to was happen? So I'm building the tension. See? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So um, what actually happened was every time he, the interviewer um, asked a question of the candidate, he didn't answer the question. Somebody from his life that he'd worked with or from his personal life entered the room and told the interviewer, what was the answer to the question about this particular candidate? So you had people that he'd um, that had managed him, people that he'd played, like um, met socially, uh, up to the point where his wife came in. Right. Does he know they're coming? No. Well, they just turn up. So it's a bit. I will say, if you go and watch this video, it's probably um, on YouTube. If you search for it, like Harvard uh, box of tissues or something. Yeah, it's right. a bit of a tearjerker. Tear it's a really right. good example of emotional storytelling. I don't think there was a string that wasn't pulled right. yeah. on those heartstrings. We'll put a link to it in the, on yeah. the website, so yeah. anyone wants to see it can click on it and have a look. Really, really good one. Second one I would think about that's, that's linked much more to. Um, the world of early careers is the recent campaign that Police Now have uh, launched in your dreams. Yeah. And for them, they've got a, a big challenge. It's very similar to the, the the journey that I went on as a Teach First teacher, but it's about um, tapping into that social action, social need of something. Maybe it's worth actually explaining to our listeners um, you know, who Police Now are, just so they can put in a bit of context. Yeah, is it a bit like uh, Teach First? but for policing and getting young people into policing. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, and it, it ticks that um, disadvantaged piece as well of, of kind of trying to serve the most disadvantaged communities and tackle stereotypes as well. Yeah. There's a big part of why I'm a, a big fan of that particular campaign that's been launched and the power of the story within it because mm-hmm. there's um, one of the videos that's... Um, kind of visualising now as I'm speaking is um, a father speaking about his own journey of growing up and how how people thought that he was going to be a badden because of his uh, situation, the way he was brought up and how he changed his life and turned it around by joining the Police Now programme. Right, okay. Um, And the power of the story was also in that he was in his daughter's bedroom putting her to bed and it was passing on that kind of message of it doesn't necessarily have to be like this because of your your surroundings and the way that you've been brought up. Okay, so the message was from that, we're trying to get across to um, people that Police Now should encourage these types of people to come into the police force. We put it across in a way that um, works so for, for the audience, so... Video content is one way, and it's a it's a, a way that they can re- relate to. 
Um, we built trust and authenticity by using a real story of a real person who's gone through a real process. And the clear focus of it was how a person from this particular background would be welcome in the police force and how that can continue for, for many generations. Exactly, yeah, and it's that kind of, it's breaking that barrier of just because one generation kind of had a tag associated to it that it's not necessarily going to be handed on to the next generation. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. Really, really powerful example yeah. of storytelling. Okay. And so that's two good examples. Uh, I think you, the third example you, we spoke about before was actually from your time at EY and working closely with parents who are obviously such a huge influencer uh, in certainly the school space. Um, yeah, go on, what, what was that about? So we had um, a campaign that ran within a campaign. So, um, sounds like that film, Inception. Yeah. <laughs> campaign within a campaign within a campaign. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the idea was that with um, so this particular uh, campaign that we launched last year was around parents, the number one influencer when you're looking at young people, mm. um, regardless of the choice they're making. Yeah. Um, and the, the campaign itself was tackling that idea of what the world of work was through a parent's set of eyes and what it actually is mm-hmm. to kind of bridge that gap between the two and help them bring them closer to what the future of work will look like so that they can actually support their child with informed um, choices. But that, that that's nice on, on one level in terms of talking about brand and bit showing that you're aware of the challenge that's there. But what I thought it would be really good to do was to use one of the parents that we met mm-hmm. um, as a vehicle in a way to be able to bring that brand narrative to life. Mm. So we had a volunteer who, um, Lucy Dunn, so she's um, got a 16-year-old son yeah, and so she filmed a series of um, vlog videos, just on her phone. Mm-hmm. Sent them over to me every couple of weeks, um, just sharing what she was experiencing with <laughs> yeah. her son. And right. it, it goes literally from we're sitting and we're going through all the different options and things. It's largely just Lucy herself on the camera. Her mm-hmm. son featured a couple of times, but um, them planning where he was going to kind of go for work experience, for example. Um, also, she did a lovely video where she interviewed her friend, who's kind of her confidant, who also has a, a child, and they're often talking over a glass of wine a lot about our children and how they're driving us a bit bonkers mm-hmm. yeah, for the choices they're making to make to, for other parents to look at and go, well, that's us, isn't it? We're actually sitting here with a glass of wine now as well, for example. Yeah. Um, but also, as well, a few examples. And, and you have to be quite brave as a parent, I think, to be able to do this, because I'm sure her son looks at some of these videos and goes, oh, mum, seriously. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but, like, when she's come out of a meeting at the school where she's been dragged in because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. And her actual raw frustration. One of the videos is literally just like, I'm really sorry, but I had to share this with somebody today. Yeah. Because he's just pushing me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, for me, it's been a really good example of how you can tap into that parent influencer piece, but that real ability for if you've got those whether they're brand advocates of people that are on your programme or whether or not it's people that you've specifically asked to do a particular task like this with Lucy, is to actually get that raw, in-the-moment um, capturing of a story that's unedited, is real, completely authentic. And there's absolutely nothing to stop employers doing that now because 
there are there is live functionality on every single social platform that you've got now. Yeah. You just have to be brave enough to actually let somebody know. Right, well, thank you very much for today, Steve. It's been really interesting. We've learned a lot of stuff. We've um, heard a lot of stories. Yeah, your favourite some fantastic Mr Fox, then. Yeah. favourite story. Like, go reread it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you'd like to find out um, more about any of the stories and examples we've spoken about, we'll put those onto the website. And if you'd like to find out more about Steve and The Branding Man, please visit thebrandingman.co.uk. I've been Jack Denton. And I've been Ollie Sidwell. Thanks very much, Steve. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. And that's the Jack and Ollie Show. <laughs> For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.